filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash So we just hit the button to start recording. Then immediately beforehand, after sharing with the world, I'm told that he's listening to ABBA. Starts quoting ABBA lines. Yep, sure did. And anytime I hear ABBA, all I can think of is the film version of Mamma Mia and what a bad singer who tried really hard Pierce Brosnan is. James Bond can't sing. He really oh, can't sing. Oh, bless his heart. But he really, really tries. I will say, as an aside to James Bond can't sing, go listen to Take a Chance on Me. Just go do it right now. Pause this podcast for four minutes and go listen to Take a Chance on Me. It's really good. Just do it. Go, go. We'll wait. I'm not going to wait. Uh... No, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. And welcome back. No, no, they paused it and came back. Now they're back. Distant past, and you have time to get to it later. (laughs) It's it's podcast time now. You're you're stuck with us for the full hour. Don't hit pause ever. (laughs) Hour. That's a that's a generous understatement of how long you're stuck with us until we allow you to go. An hour (laughs) is however long this podcast takes. That is. I I I have petitioned NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology. Uh, and and they for the United States now one hour is however long that week's episode of filibuster is. I, okay. I, I I've got pull with the Commerce Department. Um, and that's Pierce what we're Brosnan, using it for. Still not a good singer, no matter how much pull I have or don't or made up. Hey hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley, who's back this week. Uh, Back from my plague. Yes, he survived uh, whatever 17th century malady swept through his house and is back here to talk DC United with us. Uh, and we that's what we're talking about tonight. We're It's a very DC United show, as it almost always is. The Black and Red lost in Utah 3-2 to two to RSL on the Wasatch Front. Over the weekend, we're going to talk about that. In the second segment, we're going to talk about uh, a, a little-known striker that DC United has their eye on. It's going to take up the whole segment because he's not little-known. His name is Wayne Rooney. You already know bon, all about it. Bonnet Rooney? Yes. Or Willie Rooney, as some Irish guy put on a web video. Waza? But, yeah, Waza. We'll call him Waza. We'll, we'll go full chaff. We're not going to call him Waza. We're not going full chaff. Uh, we might mention the fact that DC United plays another game this Saturday. There's not a bye week. DC United is playing two games in two weeks. It's a GD miracle. Uh, they are going to San Jose this weekend. Hashtag DCU after dark, 1030 PM kickoff. Watch it on news channel eight, uh, your local Sinclair station or ESPN plus because there's no more MLS live. RIP pour one out. Give it up for MLS live before we do anything though, as is our tradition here, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? 
my dishwasher is probably broken permanently. Uh, and in the, in between the time that it will be replaced, uh, and today, uh, I have to find some creative solutions. I was going to make a gin and tonic, but I don't have any tall glasses, uh, that are clean and did not have time to wash them. So instead, uh, I grabbed a clean coffee mug and poured some, uh, dogfish head, uh, barrel honey rum into that coffee mug. So that's what I've got. The dishwasher, by the way, was like spitting soapy water out the bottom of it. Uh, oh, yeah. and so I had to turn it off and wipe it up and then say, okay, it's broken. Yeah. When your dishwasher goes Hasawaka, no, uh, that's, that's no good. Yeah. Ben, what are you drinking? I'm mad that it's gin weather, but uh, because it is gin weather, I'm drinking gin because it's too hot for anything else. So You chose to live in Virginia. It's I mean, also I gonna... gin weather up there. Yeah, I was going to drink gin, uh, if not for the glass thing. <laughs> I'm just was saying, it, Ben, there are lots it not of places. 90, was well it not 90 north... degrees up there? It, it was. My point is you chose to live in this region. Would, you... I have been, would this podcast have, have existed if I didn't live in Virginia? Yes, it would have, because I pitched this podcast to Martin in 2011, the week before you joined the staff. Would you have continued continued to have edited it for 288 or 87 episodes? Who asked if it would have existed? The answer is yes, it would have. Would, have been, would, would it have existed? Podcast. Yes, it is. Uh, but yes, gin, I'm mad about gin weather, but I'm drinking a Ricky, a gin Ricky. Excellent. Air conditioning in a glass. The official native cocktail of the District of Columbia. I'm contractually and constitutionally obliged to say that. I am drinking a cheap Pinot Noir. It's actually pretty good. Cherry Blossom Pinot Noir is what it's called. Uh, It's a California Pinot, and it's uh, really good for the price. Uh, I like it a lot. I was watching a uh, video a couple nights ago on YouTube because I went on one of those hour-long YouTube jaunts. And it was about uh, the psychological factor of finding out how much a wine costs and it tricking you into thinking it's better than it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And how a lot of uh, blind wine taste tests for people that don't have a particularly refined palate, the cheap stuff actually ends up uh, grading higher for most folks. I think a lot of that is because the cheap stuff has a little bit more residual sugar. Yeah, it's sweeter and people are like, well, I taste the sweetness and that's cool. Yeah, well, it's, even, the, it's the Pepsi challenge. The reason yeah. Pepsi is really good after one drink is because it's super sweet. But by the time you drink 12 ounces, you're like, I feel sick. And my, my parents are wine snobs, but mm. they also have their like daily drinker that is a uh, like $11 double-sized bottle of wine. So you, you've just got to find your regular one. You can't be drinking $30 yeah. bottles of wine on the daily. I mean, if you can, or if you can, please uh, go to patreon.com slash filibuster <laughs> and sponsor us. Yeah. Better yet, email us filibusterpodcast at gmail.com and sponsor us. I really like the idea of someone sponsoring us and it's not a company. It's just a person that wants us to say nice things about them. I, I, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> I will go full sycophant for someone paying us. Well, I mean, this is basically like Renaissance uh, uh, patrons. I mean, it, I, I'm totally down for that. So there you we, go for any kind of patronage here. If you're if you're wealthy and you want us to talk about you being great, that's how to do it. Wayne Rooney, if you're hearing this, <laughs> Lorenzo de Medici, if you're listening to this, I, I 
I feel like that would be the most awesome outcome from the whole Rooney thing would be if he paid for sponsorship of this show, not not as like praising him as a DC United player, but just like we could talk about his, you know, him being a you know a nice guy. He's got or, really or... great hair. I mean, th- those <laughs> hair plugs really worked well. They actually kind of did. Is or, the or thing. Like, I know. His, kid, his kids are well behaved, and it's a tribute to his parenting ability. Things like that. <laughs> right. Um, we'd have to get you know over time. We'd have to get pretty pretty deep down on the list of. He's quality. a surprisingly good cook. Have you seen his landscaping? The man has good taste in well, landscape like, architecture. At the same time, let's not waste it because you know it. it could <laughs> We're going to save it for the future, yeah. uh, Mister Rooney. If that's what you prefer to be called, we are we are here awaiting your email. Now we have to talk about what happened over the weekend in San Diego, nothing, Utah. Nothing happened. When Ben says nothing happened or no, we're not talking about this, you, you know how it goes. Yet again, DC United started well enough going up a goal on the road. I disagree. Before watching, they were up a goal on the road. For that is a minutes. thing. That is a fact. Also a fact, the wheels fell off. Uh this time around, it was Paul Ariola putting DC United up, turning in a Zoltan Stieber corner kick. And then Joseph Mora entered the spotlight and everything went bad. First, he it was lost. Woolard esque. It was beyond Woolard esque. Uh, I, I think Mora is on his own plateau with this game because, oh man, it was bad. First, he lost Corey Baird on the equalizer. Uh, never actually getting fully goal side of him and just letting him run into empty space. He lost uh, him and then he fell down. Yeah, the the fall was just uh, he made a, a mistake fall. and then he fell over. Um, yeah, making things. He made a, he made a couple mistakes and then he fell over. Yeah, uh, and then he made another mistake, getting himself sent off for uh, putting his cleats uh, through a guy's Achilles heel, standing, not even diving in. Uh, probably more clumsy than malicious, but you're a professional athlete. Your job is not to be clumsy and uh, yada, yada, yada shorthanded DC United fell three to two to a very beatable Real Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know I have my opinion on, on what stings the most from this game. Um, What about you guys? What, what stings the most? I'll jump in and say what stings the most to me is going up one to zero yet again and then losing. It, it It's like the reverse problem that DC United used to have. They used to give up goals late all the time, and now they are scoring early and then just giving up even more goals to lose after scoring early. And it's to me, it's even more frustrating than giving up goals late because you score a goal in the 10th minute, and then you just know before halftime there's going to be an equalizer. Jason, oh, over the weekend, you were sharing some minute-by-minute uh, minute stats in in our group chat uh and, and it seemed like dc united starts well first 15 minutes and finishes well the last 15 minutes it's that middle hour that yeah. you pointed out is is the rough spot um yeah I, I should probably while i'm talking pull that up which i can do um i'll say what, what what frustrates me um more than anything is the fact that dc is not losing games because the team is awful uh, overall, they're not losing games because they're not getting, uh, you know, it, it, this isn't like last year's team where you could see they were going to lose from kickoff. Um, 
this team has, believe it or not, some decent players. They, I'm not saying they should be in the playoffs, but they should be better than they are. But they keep having individual players make these colossal mistakes that throw away the good work of their teammates. And it's not even the same guy every week. It's not like we have one player where we're like, that's the guy that keeps screwing things up. And if we just replaced him, it would be fine. Um, in this game, you know, Joseph Mora gives away a goal that's avoidable, then gets a red card on a, at, he's at midfield and he's got a guy facing away from goal. Like you don't have to commit. A, you shouldn't commit a foul. Committing a foul at all there is dumb. Committing a foul that opens the door for you to get sent off is unforgivable um, for the time being. He, he he would be in my, as a coach, I would put him in the doghouse for a while, even when he came back from suspension. Um, even with O'Neill Fisher also making a pretty gigantic mistake uh, on the third goal. Um, but, it, you know, it's these individual mistakes that are, are costing United more than anything else. Um, at, at some point, is all these individual mistakes, are, are they cumulatively a coaching problem? That's what I'm starting to feel. I mean, on one hand, I, I don't know. I guess the issue I have with that that thought process is that it shouldn't take a coach to tell you not to do some of these things. Um, Joseph Mora knows not to lose his man oh, at the sure. back post. Um, Joseph Mora probably knows well enough not to go in like that on a um, a player that far from goal, but he did it anyway. Um, Steve Clark knows not to get beat near post uh, on a, a shot. Uh, the, the, this is going back to the Philly game. Um, not that that was the worst error in that game, but it's just the one that came to mind. Um, it's stuff that the players know not to do, and they they just have these moments where they're just not all there. Um, maybe it is something in the way the team preps players to react, because it used to be, you know, like Ben mentioned, uh, DC would give up early goals all the time and have a comeback to deal with. That, I think, is more attributable to the coaching. That's more of a, the team is collectively not being prepared for the start of games well enough. I think right now, you know, there there are individuals not reacting to the change in the game when DC gets a goal. Um, you don't see a collective disaster after that. It's not like everyone's running around like a lunatic, uh, panicking about everything. It's one guy does something stupid. So, um there's there is probably some you know some percentage of um of that falls on the coaching staff but i think it's very heavily weighted towards the individual players are just you know maybe it's low confidence is weighing into it because they're 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 thinking you know oh we've been here before but we keep screwing it up and then it becomes this low confidence self-fulfilling prophecy i don't know um but yeah it it's that's what's killing me is that this team keeps putting themselves in a position to get decent results. And then someone, not a group of people, but someone throws it away. Um, and now that I've brought up my spreadsheet, I can tell you guys um, in the first 15 minutes of games, DC has scored three times and given up one. And if you, back, if you go back to preseason, it's actually scored five times and given up one. That's really good. Uh, and if you go to the final 15 minutes, it's not as good. Um, but DC's scoring is the thing. They've got three uh, three goals in the regular season uh, in the last 15 minutes versus uh, two. It's not bad. Um, they're doing a decent job in those those segments. But uh, 
from there, you've got the middle hour where they're giving they've scored four, uh, and uh, fourteen in the middle hour. Oh yeah, no! So when they're they're losing games in the middle hour, and more specifically, they're losing games in the the worst part of this is the last half hour of the first half where they've given up. Yeah. Uh, what is this? Nine goals in the last thirty Ugh. minutes of the first half. I mean, that um, tracks with just how we all feel. Ex- exactly. Like you, they get out in front and then they blow it. Um, mm-hmm. And this data backs up that feeling that you have that they've been really good at getting the lead, but then terrible at doing anything with it. Um, it's it's you know the game state changes and DC maybe maybe the thing is they've got a decent plan to start games, but they don't necessarily have a decent plan or decent individual reactions to. What happens when the game state changes? When the other team says, we're losing, we need to go find a way to get ourselves back level. They make adjustments. They take risks that weren't they weren't taking before. And either it's, you know, the tactical approach isn't right. But I think a lot of it is just guys keep doing dumb stuff that they know better. Joseph Mora doesn't need uh, to be told not to do what he did in those five minutes. And he did all of it. Um, and it's uh, it's hard to stay even remotely positive when you see it happening after, you know, over and over again. Should we yeah, address that was, that was the thing from that, that stung the most for me. I said, I had an opinion, so I'm going to say it. Okay. Uh, it, it was that DC United was even down a man. They were arguably the better team in the second half. If they had had 11 men on the field and not 10, um, that this, I, I said in the intro, it was a winnable game and they, they probably would have won it if Joseph Mora had just, been a competent soccer player on the day, which he was anything but. Or, or even if RSL had just not finished at a pretty decent clip, um, the XG totals out there pointed to DC having the, the better yeah. expected goals, despite the, this wasn't just before the the red card. This was the full At, 90 minutes. Yeah, actually DC United was even, or maybe even a little bit behind at the time of the red card. And, ended up well ahead uh, of RSL. I think a, a one-to-one draw is what would have been predicted by uh, by think, expected goals. I, I but, thought the, the one I saw actually had DC at like 1.8, something like oh, that. Oh, I saw 1.4 to um, 1.1. It, it, yeah. it wasn't a huge difference, but 1.8 even, that's even bigger. Um, regardless, this, like, like Jason said, it was in individual errors, multiple by one position two players playing that position <laughs> but yeah. uh by one position on the field and i was gonna get to that position later but since i set myself up for the can I, so well can i jump into something about this position real quick before you get into that yeah i just want to say it was a red card yeah it was yeah. totally a red card it's a play that happens a lot and often isn't punished and it shouldn't happen is yeah. the thing like yeah. that. That's one of those where uh, like, it's been pointed out that we're kind of VAR is putting us into Simon Borg's world where many, many things are red cards and, and, they the should thing, be. and he was often right about what was a red card. I don't always, I don't often agree with Simon Borg. What he considers a red card, I think is usually Right about what is a red card. It just wasn't punished because it wasn't seen. Now it's being seen. Yeah. We're now at the point where players have to adjust. 
if they don't adjust, then we've got another issue. Right. They, they were basically trying, but, they were basically getting away with it because of sight lines and didn't have to obey the spirit of the laws of the game. And now or the letter to, of the laws of the game. Yeah. But I mean, both. And yeah, now they have to obey it all the time because they'll be seen all the time. And you can't get away with things anymore. And I think overall that's good. It's just a learning curve for players and fans. Yeah. And, yeah, and it, players like have to you, adjust now. If you put your studs into someone's leg, you've opened the door for a red card. Um, and Mora, I think he was just trying to, you know, get stuck in, in, I'm putting it in scare quotes, um, and send a message, uh, at midfield. Maybe he was trying to rile himself up after the mistake. Maybe he was trying to take his frustrations out. Um, but you can do that without exposing your studs and putting them into some, the back of someone's leg. Um, right. If you do a Bobby Boswell, like hip or shoulder check, right. That's much, you're not going to get a red card for that, right. but you're going to send the same message. It's also right. way more satisfying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's 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 a dumb foul at midfield, but maybe you're getting, you know, maybe he just needed to get that out of his system and then he would be fine um, and, and get himself back together. I don't know his his mindset on it, but um, the it's, it, you know, the studs uh, exposed like that are kind of like we've seen a, a, a run of red cards for people putting their hands to someone's face and it's not dangerous contact but it's still a hand on someone's face and they're getting sent off you can never this is this is kind of like the equivalent of that like you know that this is possibly going to be a red card so don't um and yet here we are yeah the needlessness of it is is the most frustrating part um but it's part of a bigger problem right now because dc united has issues at left back with taylor kemp out long term forever now uh joseph mora came in kind of on fire he looked really good in his first couple games for dc united uh he's still a very good tackler i think and very good at emergency defending except when he falls down yeah except when he's when it's already lost and he just i don't know maybe he was trying too hard and tripped over his own feet but he he's been progressively less impressive and o'neill fisher came in and tried to one-up joseph mora honestly hold my beer he should have been called for a penalty in this game he pulled the guy down by the arm and because you're you're not talking about the handball uh that that wasn't (laughs) the handball was not a it it wasn't Yeah, he, he, I, I don't believe contact was made, and even if it was, he was obviously trying to avoid contact, which I think removes the intent. Um, if you're actively trying not to handle the ball, you can't intentionally handle the ball. But earlier in the game, before that happened, um, I think late in the first half, he got completely spun around like a top, uh, I think by Jefferson Savarino, mm-hmm. and had him by the arm behind him, pulled right. him to the ground as he crossed the ball, Luckily, the ball got to an RSL player who shot it over the bar, and there was no penalty called. I think if a DC United player intercepts that ball and there's no shot, it's a penalty, and United is down even earlier than they were. Um, and, and then he goes and loses his mind uh, and, and doesn't, you know, finds himself in midfield needlessly, again, that word, and uh, turns the ball over and doesn't get back. And 
he had a chance if he had just put his head down and sprinted, he would have gotten in position to stop the goal from happening. But instead, he kind of jogs and you know plays the passing lane that would have been directly to feet, but does yeah. completely allows the space in behind. And he's uh, it, it's rare that a person is a hundred percent at fault for a goal. O'Neill Fisher on the third goal, absolutely one hundred percent on him. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up. Um, what he did after the turnover and after being out of position. Um, I want to be clear. I don't think he was lazy on the play. I think he did not recognize the danger that was in present. I think he didn't. I think he misunderstood what was going on. Um, and he tried to defend that passing lane, which he didn't have to hustle to get to. So he just, you know, three quarter speed got there and, and the passing lane. Yes, he did defend, but that wasn't the problem. That wasn't what needed help right now. It's, you know, if, uh, if your boat is sinking uh, and s- someone is like the radio is broken, but I fixed it. It's like, well, that's cool, but the boat is still sinking. Um, we need you to help with that. Not these other problems that are for later. Um, he just, he did not seem to realize that Savarino was going to get to the ball and then come at goal himself rather than, you know, maybe, maybe his expectation was Savarino is going to immediately try a pass of some kind, but that's not what was going on. And it was pretty obvious that it wasn't what was going on. Um, so yeah, he really made a mess of that play and then a mess of fixing his own mess. Um and I don't uh, doubt that Jefferson Savarino is a fine player in MLS. He he looked best eleven in this game, and it was it was Joseph Mora and especially O'Neill Fisher that made him look that way. So Jalen free Jalen Robinson? I I don't see him I mean, at left back. Yeah, I he, mean he hasn't looked comfortable playing as a fullback before, and that well, was Well yeah, all. but Jason Anderson for left back. I mean, oh, at this no, point, no. if if Chris Adui Acham were healthy, I would say throw him on the left side or or. But yeah, there's the, the right and throw him on like, the right and move Nick DeLeon to the left because DeLeon has played left well, attacking midfield. Why not we, put him at left fullback we, since he's played right fullback? He played now. left back uh, for a That's chunk right. of last season too. Um, That's right. We do also the we do have to consider the prospect that next week we might see. Fisher playing right back and DeLeon playing left back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that that actually fixes the problem, but Fisher is more of a right-footed player, and maybe he is slightly better on the right than on the left. Um, though, on the other hand, I'm not necessarily a big fan of moving. Like, I think this was the best game DeLeon's played since 2016. Yeah, um, yeah he was good. He was really good. To immediately make him change positions would be a, uh, a you know, very DC United to Nick DeLeon thing. But also, also yeah. moving him to left back. Like, if you're going to put either Kofi Opare or Jalen Robinson as a fullback, I feel like both of them would be better on the right than the left. So, yes, that would also um, be a reason that DeLeon would be out on the left. Right. Um, so DC is kind of in in between a rock and a hard place because, um, you know, the the rep on Fisher when he came over was that he's going to do some big things, and and the we talked about the handball. Uh, that that wasn't the tackle he made there was a pretty spectacular uh, saving mm-hmm. tackle. Um, so he does do some things that are really great. It's just that he also does some stuff that's not good at all. Um, and uh, we kind of got a little of both. And unfortunately, this was a game where the bad side really outweighed the good side. Um, but, uh, you know, they've got a week to figure out whether it's just plug him in and go or if it's. Switch him and Dalio or something, but they've got to address it because 
That's another thing I've been mad about is that they've had these two weeks between these games and it's been the same stuff every week. It's been just as bad. I disagree quite a bit. Yeah, this week wasn't the same thing. In Philly, the team was real bad. In at RSL, the team was pretty good. Joseph Mora was especially bad, and and O'Neill Fisher was was real bad too. It was two specific guys playing the same position uh, that that were bad at RSL. It, it was better than Philly. Philly, I was much more mad about. This game is frustrating because it feels like a lot an opportunity missed and points left on the table. Philly was frustrating because it was horrendous. Yeah, I'm I'm uh I'm gonna go with Adam on that one because uh against Philly they lost three two but really could have lost four nothing and it would have been like, yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, they created four shots on goal against a very bad team um that then went out and you know since then has been bad again. So we, right. we you know, the the union did I, I will say the union played better in that game than other games, but they were still the union. Um RSL is a little better than the Union, and DC really almost got away with the red cards. They almost completed a two-goal comeback while down a man for over an hour. Um, they, I, that did almost happen. So, and that's why I'm more mad is because they could have won this game because they played okay, but then they just they just wasted it. And, right, and no, uh, it's definitely more frustrating. I, I'm with you there. I'm just saying that they didn't. It's not the same. I thing. don't think they wasted this uh, bye week. Um, I thought they looked prepared for RSL, um, <laughs> whereas against Philly, I thought they looked prepared for the first 10 minutes, but not for when Philly shifts gears. They didn't seem to know what was happening and were never able to figure that out from there. Um, I think they wasted that, but that bye week they wasted. They threw that away. Um, this one, I actually thought they did a pretty good job of preparing for RSL and, um, you know, they made two gigantic individual mistakes and the, the second RSL goal came in the tiny bit of time where DC didn't have a left back on the field and was, you know, you've got the bench shouting for someone to go drop back temporarily. And RSL, to their credit, saw the moment and said, this is the time for us to throw a ton of numbers at DC and see what happens. And, you know, if DC were a lucky team right now, Albert Ruznak's shot hits someone in traffic and goes out for a corner instead. And then Fisher comes in and they can set up in a logical formation. But instead... I'm not even sure anyone had actually gotten to the shift to left back. I don't think they actually had one in those like 90 seconds. It, it, to um, the extent there was one, it was Zoltan Stieber. But it, uh, but it was but it was just, watching that goal. Lucho Acosta is hanging out, kind of not doing anything. I'm a little bit upset at him for not just tracking back because Rusnak comes from within five yards of Acosta, well outside of the play, and comes into the play, and Acosta just kind of watches him. Um, while being there as an outlet, but right there in that moment, you don't need an outlet. You need all hands on deck. And I, 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 we can talk about Acosta next. I wasn't planning to, but um, Acosta got pulled. We'll, we'll keep this part short. He got pulled. I know a lot of people were confused by that, but he, he had probably his worst half hour, 20, 25 minutes uh, of the season in this game. He was, I think, below 40% passing in that his time on the field, um, not a lot of influence on the game. Um, and I know he was mad to come off. Everyone's mad to come off in the first half, even after a red card. But I think he also like Ben Olsen understood why he was mad. And I think 
once he calmed down, Lucho understood why uh, an attacker needed to come off and, and why it was him, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't that good in the first half, and when the red card happened, it made sense for someone like him to come off. So it it looked bad optics-wise, but I think it's fine. I'm more I mean, worried about how he hasn't been... He hasn't been his previous self so far this season, and I'm, ho- I'm hoping that comes back a little more as people uh, get to know each other more, and maybe if we have a balls-out attacking lineup, which is what I support, but we can get into that in a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I think Olsen was actually... He had he did have to make a sub, and I think he chose the right player to take off. Um Acosta was for he was trying to force every single every single time there was a moment where DC might be getting on transition he was trying to play someone in on goal directly he wasn't there was no patience um and no vision he had the tunnel he had tunnel vision is what he had um he was just looking to play Darren Maddox through every single time and RSL saw it coming and there were several moments where RSL's team shape got stretched out and they became more of a front four and back six and nothing between them where there's a lot of space to operate and DC had numbers and they had, you know, RSL defenders scrambling. They were, they were panicking. And I think it was at least two times where this happened, where Lucho in that situation, instead of moving the ball to the next guy and, and, you know, letting it be a group effort to get in on goal. He just tried to play Maddox with the killer ball and it didn't work. It got intercepted and cleared and the danger goes away. Um, He was, he was, trying this was the bad side of lucha where he's just trying to be too much of an individual um and last year when there weren't good players around him i said you know that's kind of fair because what's he gonna do um he he has good reason to not pass the ball to sebastian latou um in space he knows it's not going to work um this year uh i think there's a very good argument that he should definitely be making some some passes that aren't this one has to be an assist or it's not going to work um, and if he just, uh, if he just has the, the vision or the maturity to get his head up and say, oh, um, we can connect like three or four passes here and then someone's going to be in on goal, then we're probably looking at a, a good scoring chance. But instead he's trying to split, you know, he's, he's trying to win pass of the week and you don't have to win pass of the week, uh, to score a goal in that situation. And that, uh, that's very frustrating. And I understand why he was taken off. I also think, you know, he's not an he's not an idiot. He probably gets that someone was going to have to come out, um, whether it's going to be him or Stieber, who's a little suited, a little better suited to um, playing wide left. Um, and yeah, the set piece thing, like if you go down a man uh, and then you're behind as well, you need to leave your best set piece taker on the field so you have any chance at a comeback. And it's not like there's a it's not like it's close between Stieber and the next best set piece option. It's he's way, way out in front of everyone else on the team. Um, so he has to stay in the game. And Segura is going to give you more defensively. Uh, Paul Ariola, I thought, did fairly well in this new role, uh, enough that I think it's at least worth reconsider or trying again, I guess I should say. Um, and he's going to give you more defensively. Uh, you're not going to remove Chris Durkin because he's the only defensive midfielder that's healthy on the team. So who else? It, it comes down to Maddox or Acosta, and you're having to play on the counter, so you're going to keep Maddox in. So, yeah, there are – even if he was playing well, there would have been a good argument to make him the guy that gets right. taken out, and he was not playing well. And I have Segura opinions for next week. 
Yeah, we'll we'll save Segura for next week because we are running long as it is. Well, I mean, uh, I can't. I, can, I mean, it's for the next week's game. It'll be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about but Paul Ariola. <laughs> let's talk about Paul Ariola, central midfielder. Uh, in this one, it, it was a surprise to see him there. Um, so much so that when the lineup graphic came out that showed him in the middle next to Acosta and Segura out wide, everyone assumed it was a mistake until Steven Streff said, no, they were training with this on Tuesday with Ariel in the middle and Segura wide. This is something they've worked on. And then Lindsay Simpson chimed in saying, yes, this is accurate. Um, Part of the reason people would assume that is this is not really a DC United problem. It's an MLS problem or not even an MLS problem. It's just soccer teams in general problem. Uh, lineup graphics usually can't be trusted. Um, And in fact, DC's lineup graphics have been uh, maybe one of the only two or three teams that have been 100% accurate uh, this season. Mm -hmm. Um, Most teams, the the people making the lineup graphic don't really, they get a team sheet and they've watched the games and they sort of figure it out, but they're doing what we're doing, which is they know where the players generally go and they're like, okay, we'll piece it together. Um, and so the coaching staff uh, is throwing them a curveball as much as anything else. So um, I guess one lesson we learned this week is that when DC puts a lineup graphic out, uh, they're more trustworthy than most other teams because they actually put out the lineup that was actually going to be on the field, which is not very common. So what did you make of the areola at central mid experiment? You, you, you said earlier that it's worth, trying again uh presumably at san jose but what what about it uh because i was i was not impressed by his first touch in that position he mm-hmm. he definitely has a winger's first touch more than yes. a central midfielder's first touch and a definitely. central midfielder's turn especially uh there were a couple of moments where if he had been able to collect the ball and turn in the tight space rather than pushing the ball into a, a bigger space to, to allow him to turn um things could have the attack might have developed a little better in this one, but um, at the same time, he made a couple of good tackles tracking back in that number eight spot. So I, I, I have mixed feelings about this. Um, I'm, I'm not actually sure how I feel. Uh, I, I would say, you know, the, the main thing that I was intrigued by is the fact that he's faster than our other central midfielders means he can cover more ground and he's willing to cover that ground. Um, and so you get a more dynamic presence on the defensive side of the ball. And if you, if you go on, um, MLS soccer's chalkboard or any other heat map, you know, data point kind of site, um, you can see the range of tackles and recoveries, um, is kind of a, the recovery map goes basically from touchline to touchline for him. Um, and that's a, a dynamic presence that maybe has been lacking in central midfield, um, especially playing alongside Lucho, who isn't the fastest player in the world. Um, I think it's something that maybe, you know, Durkin is more of a occupy the middle uh, sort of defensive midfielder, whereas Russell Canals maybe covers a little more ground, um, is a little more rangy in, in his approach to how he de- uh, plays the position. And without Canals, without Junior Moreno, who I think is sort of in between Canals uh, and Durkin in that department, um you know, you're, you're adding a more range to that, that area of the field. You've got a little more ability to cover defensively um, and get guys into passing lanes that normally haven't been covered up as well. Um, 
So I, I think that is the interesting side to me. I thought defensively he did a pretty good job um, on the offensive side. Uh, you know, Adams right about his touch and his turn. Those those were um, those are things when you're used to having a bunch of space to turn into an attack. That's that's what he was doing. Um, the other thing that I'm a little concerned with is that um, his you know successful pass rate wasn't very good for a central midfielder. Um, and, you know, cut him some slack because they were down to 10. But on the other hand, um, he was, you know, lower than some of the guys around him. So he was a little lacking in that department. Um, but overall, I thought, um, given that he was playing as a central player for the first time as a professional uh, in a game where his team played down a man for over an hour, I thought he acquitted himself fairly well. Um, the goal is kind of a, a bonus because it came from a different, uh, you know, different role altogether that's a a set piece thing that we'll get into but um no I I thought he did well enough I don't think it was spectacular by any means but if it happens again next week I'm not going to have any complaints um I I think it might actually be a good idea for San Jose because they're not necessarily the fastest in central midfield so it might be a, a bigger advantage than it was this week and to to jump into my exclamation at the end of the last talking point I think that uh Having Ariola in the middle for, especially when Knaus and Moreno are out, uh, having Ariola in the middle allows you to have uh, the best attackers on the field. It allows you to have Assad, uh, Yamil Assad out wide. It allows you to have Zoltan Stieber out wide. And I feel like at this point, even though from what reporting has said, uh, Ariola and Assad are paid more than Stieber, but Stieber's played better than either of them so far this season, so you can't bench him. But if you're able to get all of them on the field, and Ulysses Segura hasn't demanded a spot yet. He's been okay. He's been decent in one, maybe 1.5 games so far, but he hasn't locked anything down. So at this point, they need to score goals, and if you want to get just all of your attackers and go, go all out, it deserves a trial at this point. Even on the road, I'm I'm inclined to agree, especially once you because you can't get so you far behind. That... We're we're already so far behind, and you can't like if they continue to get so far behind, it's it doesn't matter how many games at home they have. Sorry, I right, you, Adam. Uh, the big like the the logjam was at central midfield. Who do you put next to Acosta that provides the the defensive cover? Uh, because Acosta's good defending on the front foot. He's not good defending on the back foot. And until DC United is an all-press, all-the-time team, you need someone who can help Acosta and cover for him when United is on the back foot. And apparently Ben Olsen thinks Paul Ariel is worth trying there. Once you decide that Segura doesn't have to be in the middle, then he he doesn't have to be on the field, frankly. Right. Stevie and Assad are better on the wings than, than Segura is. Um, and Assad, again, a, a front foot defender, uh, as good as any in MLS. So I, Adam, are you trying to say that we should become a, a high press team all the time? I've said it before. <laughs> and I, I, I think that is Wait, what I'm saying. Have you said it before? I, I can't remember. All, all this roads hasn't been a hobby horse we've been us, riding. Yeah. All roads lead to us saying that this team should high press all the time. Right. Because all the data points. Point We're just going where the information is telling us. Um, 
couple more things I want to talk about in this game. We're, we'll, we'll talk about Assad again here in a second, but I, wanted, I do want to give props to the coaching staff on one thing in particular in this game, and that is the set-piece design, which is not something we've said about DC United much. That is not a hobby horse we've ridden before. Um, Paul Ariola scored on a corner kick, direct from a corner kick. He was essentially unmarked in the box, and... The man can volley a ball. His his first goal last year came on a volley, and his goal in this game came on a left-footed volley. Um, the man is technically pretty skilled, and DC United knows that. The coaching staff knows that, and I I fully believe that they set up uh, two corner kicks to to create this opportunity for Paul Ariola. The first one, it looked like service that just went over everyone, and it, it stood out to me because the ball didn't go to the far end of the 18. The ball landed just beyond the penalty spot um, on the first corner kick that, that Zoltan Stieber took from DC United's left side. Everybody on DC United ran near post. It was, it was a little bizarre. It looked like a badly designed set piece. Everyone, even those who were, who were a little bit behind the play, ran near post, and the ball just sailed over them. Not super far over them, but over them enough that no one was going to get there. And then on the second one, Paul Ariola hangs back from everyone. The pack rushes near post, and Paul Ariola just ghosts around behind everyone, completely unmarked. I know uh, Brian Dunseth commented during the game that it was completely inexplicable. I think this is the explanation. DC United did a little rope-a-dope. They conned RSL into thinking everyone was going near post and then had one guy, the guy who's probably best on the team at volleying uh, service, had him ghost behind, and it worked absolutely perfectly so i want to give props to the coaches and i think that's why paul Ariola ran to the sideline and celebrated with the the coaching staff ben olsen stood back a little bit i saw some people commenting about that i'm not going to read anything into that i think he went to the guy who designed the set please for that one because it worked and uh I, it's something i, I, I want to give wanted. them props it's something i've always wanted i feel like they've not had the the far post run in a lot of their set pieces and i i i know there's more complications into it than just having somebody hang, hang back and make that late run. But at this time it worked. And yeah, other, they, other, other times it's been notably absent. And I know it's not that easy, but it's just something that's happened. Right. So often when they do a far post run, it's Steve Birnbaum's going to be running at the far post, try to find him. And this was a little bit more thoughtful. And yeah. and they actually sacrificed the the first corner kick to set this one up, knowing that they would have RSL thinking everyone is going near post. And that's the part that impressed me, is that they knew that with this early corner kick, there there would be another opportunity coming. And they could use this one to set that one up. And right. it, it was the long con that, that I enjoyed. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to burst your bubble too much. I think it was not necessarily a long con um, as much as you come in with, a sequence. So you say, okay, on corner number one, we're going to do this. Um, I think Schneeber's delivery was either the wrong delivery for corner number one um, or, um, or Ariola didn't think he was going to get to the ball and didn't make that run or something broke down on the first one. It did, something didn't work quite right. And that's how we ended up with everyone going one way and the ball landing elsewhere. Um, I don't think it was a setup. I think it was scripted. Like we're going to do this play on corner number one, this play on corner number two, this play on corner number three. And then probably after that, it becomes a little more of a toss up because um, 
you know, you don't want to have players trying to remember the ninth corner kick set, uh, right. set play at, you know, at altitude in the 70th minute. They're not going to remember it. Um, but the first three, you can give them a script. And, and if you drill it into their heads, hopefully everyone will remember. And I think on this one, it kind of it, it eventually worked because the delivery matched with the runs matched with uh, Ariola having the opportunity to get to the, the third delivery. I, I don't know if it was necessarily a um, plan where it would be the third corner is the one where we get them. Um, it, it's more like, let's let's run this play three different ways. Um, right. And then hopefully one of them pays off. And the third one happened to be the one that paid off. And um, I, I think that's a level of cunning that we haven't seen from this team in a while on set pieces. Um, I like right. the idea of, you know, set pieces that are designed to mislead, um, at which they haven't really done a good job mm-hmm. of. Um, they've been pretty straightforward. Um, they aren't necessarily, you know, this isn't like the Red Bulls where they had their um, Sasha Kleschen rolls his foot over the ball in the corner. And so the ball's active and no one realizes it. Um, it's, it's not one of those. Um where it's like oh, it's almost like the fake ball trick in baseball. It's a youth soccer play, is what it right. is. Um, it's not to that level of cleverness, but it's definitely a big step in the right direction. And I think they might have noticed, you know, our RSL has been okay defending set pieces in terms of the end result, but they haven't been that good in terms of um, the process side. Where it seems like they've been a little fortunate not to give up more set piece goals than they already have. Um, and I think United used their bye week in part to figure out that this was a thing they could leverage to their advantage. And they, they did it. Um, it's just a shame that um, they then, or th- not they, but certain players within the group then did everything they could to unravel all of that good stuff and make it bad again. Um, it's like that moment in um, Talladega nights where uh, Glenn, the weirdo uh, unravels the big speech that Amy Adams gives um, and Ricky Bowie said, everything cool. She just said, you ruined it. Um, that's Joseph Mora. He he ruined it. And O'Neill Fisher. I think they both deserve some credit yeah. here. Yeah, but, you know, the, the main thing is don't get yourself, don't give away a goal and then get sent off five minutes later. Don't yes. do that. Um, yeah, that is, that, that is the original sin of this about game. About the playing of soccer, it is don't concede a goal <laughs> individually and then get red guarded five minutes later. Don't do that. Uh all right, I said we'd talk about Yamil Asad. Actually, before we do that, I want to point out that DC United's second goal, not directly off a set piece, but it was a recycled set piece with Steve yeah. Birnbaum still high. And Chris Durkin makes the recovery. Uh, really good lift pass, not a chip pass. He he just lifted it over the defense to Nick DeLeon, who makes a, an interesting cross, not a an aerial cross, but a, a bouncing cross that finds Steve Birnbaum's head nonetheless. Uh, jumping over a defender, I, I guess the altitude makes the ball bounce higher or something. But uh, in any event, two set piece goals for DC United. One of them uh, obviously scripted. The, the second one more uh, reactive to the situation presented. Um, both of those are positive signs. But um, like we said, fullback is a problem. The left side in particular. Yamil Assad uh, started this game on the bench. Uh, I think that's his first time riding the pine for DC United um, wasn't even the first attacking sub in this game. Bruno Miranda uh, came in before he did. Minasad came in and, and looked fine in this one, but I, I'm curious what you guys think about the fact that he was taken out. I said um, I last week that, that 
my initial reaction after the Philly game was essentially bench everyone, but Assad could could be benched. And I, I stepped back from the ledge, but apparently Ben Olsen didn't. I mean, my my look at it was more, um, you know, I, I thought Assad probably shouldn't be benched, but um, I'm guessing that Olsen decided, you know, let's outside of a certain a couple positions, let's kind of open it up and see who steps up and takes the job. Um, and that's how you end up with a little bit of an unusual use of players with Ariola in the middle. That's how you end up with, you know, Stieber, I think, between being the only good thing that happened in the Philly game um, and his performance this week, I think he's probably making, he's making it very difficult to drop him. Um, and so you start to run out of places for these other attacking players to play. Um, and I think maybe it was just go win the job and this is who won the job. Maybe Assad is kind of coasting a little bit and uh, Olsen wanted to wake him up Um that doesn't quite explain the Miranda over Assad uh, for the second sub. Um, I will say I thought I thought Miranda did pretty well at Philly, um, coming in off the bench and playing a pretty bizarre role in which he did not appear to have a set position. He was just sort of running wherever he pleased. Um, he wasn't turning the ball over. He was opening up play. So, you know, it worked to a certain – I mean, it didn't change the game, but it did work in that it wasn't a disaster. Um, you know, I – I'm curious about maybe, you know, maybe Assad's just uh, not necessarily feeling that great about things right now. It's a new team and things aren't going well. Maybe he's not uh, used to that. I don't know. Um, that's all speculation on my part. It's it's a little hard to read, um, but I think that since we've seen this possible situation where Ariola's in the middle um, and Segura's not really affecting play, I think there's a, a pretty decent chance that Assad comes back in uh, at San Jose. Um, I, I think Miranda is going to stay in the lineup as a super sub only. I don't think we're going to see him push ahead of anyone as a starter. Um, yeah. But it's something to watch. It could well be that Assad is right now, you know, Wilson's mind, you know, not a starter. And it's, it's not maybe not just about um, a one game shakeup. It might be a, a thing. Something worth keeping an eye on next week in San Jose. I think it's a one game shakeup, but we don't know yet what the case may be um in any event there's another player coming to dc united and we are going to say his name a lot after this break so stick around this is filibuster the black and red united podcast hey ben um you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment would you you can tell Uh, me depends i mean well i should ask you i mean is our goats hostile uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. 
they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Ben sprung this segment on me before I was ready, so you that's why my body. voice cracked. We record this show on Monday nights, typically, and for some reason, this often means that major weather events and non-DC United sports news happens uh, immediately before or while we are recording the Caps one against the Penguins to to move to the Eastern Conference Finals last week. While we William and Barry does loses in the CAA tournament every time. A derecho yeah, runs through the the Mid Atlantic. The the William and Mary one has become kind of a show tradition, unfortunately for Ben. Um, yep. Normally, always on game, Monday nights. Yeah, for yep. whatever reason, that game ends up being when we record, and Ben watches it on mute in silence, and then finds out the bad news. Yep. And then stops being silent about it. <laughs> However, big news involving DC United always seems to break as soon as we are done recording. And it happened again last week. Uh, it, we, we had a fun show. We, we, Jason and I ran through the Eastern Conference, talked about every team besides DC United. And then we had a good chat, as always, with Brian Dunseth. We love Dunny. Uh, and, and we think he likes us. So it, it, he's always a good guest. And then, bam, Wayne effing Rooney drop steve goff breaks the news that dc united are deep in talks with wayne rooney he he's been skeptical for the last week about the odds being higher than 50 50 and then today he updates he says oh this is actually really close to happening uh the major hurdles have been overcome to the extent that there were any and uh it's it's just some minor things and then wayne rooney is very nearly ready to sign on the line and become dc united's um most expensive signing ever by a lot um, yeah and like a lot also by more than the next three guys on the list combined yep so wayne rooney former captain of well current captain of of everton uh former captain of the of england manchester united um second highest scoring player in the history of the premier league highest scoring england national team player ever um, it, I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around this. Even though he's he's 32 year old Wayne Rooney, not 28 year old Wayne Rooney. He's it, the name is still Wayne Rooney, and he's not a 36 year old uh, or or 38 year old. He's he's 32. He's an old 32, but he's 32, and his name is still Wayne Rooney. And I, I'm still having trouble coming to terms with just that. Well, I think the the name is one of the biggest things because Wayne Rooney, out of anybody DC United could possibly sign, has some of the highest name recognition. Like, they were, like, for all the talk of Mario Balotelli, Balotelli was never going to come to America. It doesn't matter what what team it is. He was never coming to America right now. Uh, Iniesta, who was another player they were rumored with, he's not coming to America right now, regardless of where he is in his career. Wayne Rooney is 
everybody like non-soccer plenty of non-soccer fans in america know the name wayne rooney and i think that's a solid piece of why they're doing this uh we'll, we'll get into whether or not he can still perform on the field but the fact that most sports fans in america probably have at least heard the name wayne rooney is a big part of it yeah he's a guy that folks who watch the world cup every four years and haven't otherwise been converted to soccer fans they know the name wayne rooney um because it's wayne rooney I, there's there's so many thoughts going through my head. It's I'm still having trouble putting them all together. And this is after actually having a radio appearance. Um, this news is such a big let's let's go with that. This news is such a big deal that people who have never had the phrase DC United come out of their mouth uh, suddenly are talking a lot about DC United. TMZ ambushed Ben Olsen in the airport. Um, on on open wide for some soccer last week brian strauss was on and he said that he was asked to do uh, a radio hit in the uk and had already done two and tried to pass it on to a couple other guys and they'd already done radio hits in the uk as well it's gotten so deep that i have done a radio hit in the uk <laughs> on saturday night i was asked to go on an mls specific show on talk sport 2 in england it makes no sense this is uncharted territory in the realist sense of it jason and i think that's why i i i don't fear the unknown but sometimes i have trouble coming to grips with it and this is very much the unknown yeah uh this is you know as as famous as marcelo gallardo was worldwide um he wasn't even close to as famous as wayne rooney at least in the english-speaking world um and uh, we have to take into account that, like, the Premier League is the world's most popular league. Um, and it's it's not the best. They'll tell you that they are the best. They're not. Um, but popularity-wise, they absolutely are the, the league that the most people in the world care about. Um, and he is a superstar in that league, which means worldwide. Um, yeah, it's it's a whole different, you know... It might not be as effective on the field as signing Balotelli would have been, um, but it's certainly in terms of cracking the market, uh, getting people to pay attention. Uh, it's not the biggest thing they could have done, but it's pretty close. Um, so as far as that angle, uh, it's a uh, you know it's understand it's pretty easy to understand why they're why they were interested at all, um, why they came back to it because if you remember last summer uh they did mm-hmm. briefly touch base with rooney or had some level of talk with him before it was um it he ended up going back to everton instead um and that's why they i'm sure that's why they circled back they're like well we're still interested and if you're ever uh you know if things change let us know and and i guess things changed um if sam allardyce becomes your coach and benches you <laughs> let us know if you're right. forced to play a holding midfield role instead of striker you know give us a call um, but you know, I guess the, the, the thing that I keep coming back to, and, and there's been a ton of argument where a lot of people in our region that pay attention to DC United are saying that they want the team to go in a different direction. They they want them to spend this kind of money, but they want them to go for someone from a different part of the world, someone younger, um, or both. Um, there, there's a lot of, you know, why don't you follow Atlanta United's example, uh, being tossed around, um, 
and, and that's you know that's all well and good, but um, outside of our market, there's a lot of how could you guys not want this player? He is better than everyone on your team, um, which is summed up in our friend Sebi Salazar's appearance mm-hmm. on ESPN FC, in which um, and and I've got to say I, I don't think Steve Nickel or Hercules Gomez were really uh, engaging in good faith on the topic. Um, and we're just sort of having a joke and a laugh at the idea that someone might not necessarily be enthusiastic about Rooney joining the team. Um, but uh, there's a lot of that. It's like, well, he's he's Wayne Rooney. Of course, he's you should sign him. What are you what are you complaining about? Um, well, here is the here is the thing that that group of people is not really taking into account. Wayne Rooney is pushing 800 professional appearances between Everton, Man United and England. Um in fact, if he plays every game for DC United, let's assume he signs and makes his debut um, uh, against the Vancouver Whitecaps at Audi Field, and it's a big occasion. If he plays every game for the rest of the season, he'll be over 800 games as a professional. And that is way past the normal red line in terms of someone getting worn down. Um, and that is why people should have some pause in this. I mean, it's mm-hmm. awesome that DC is willing to put up the money. Um, we've all been, you know, screaming for it for a decade. Um, it's nice to finally be in a place where the team can do that, um, or is willing to do it. All of those things are really great, but you know, if you're signing a player for that amount of money, I'm looking at like 600, 650 games as like the, that's like the gas light has come on. You know, the, your fuel light has come on in your car. Um, 800 is like. I the fuel light came on in my car and then I drove home from work and then I, you know, made a stop on my way in uh, at the grocery store. And now I'm going to try and roll the dice and see if I can get to work on whatever's left. There's literally a Seinfeld episode where Kramer for, for, test drives a car and just yes. keeps going after the light goes on. And hopefully that's a good omen because that car is still running at the end of the episode. For comparison's we, we have sake, to hope that that's the case. For comparison's sake, uh, Tim Howard is only he's not he's at like 740 total games and we, we've Tim seen, Howard Tim Howard is much older than Wayne Rooney and also very done. Yeah, his physical decline is obvious. Um our our, our good friend Kevin McCauley has talked about it a lot uh, on mm-hmm. Twitter. He's been very public that he thinks Wayne Rooney is washed and that there's no you know, yes, he's a very talented player. No one's ever, you know, I don't think I've seen a single person say Wayne Rooney is not good enough at soccer. Um, to I've be, seen one person say that and they were crazy. Yeah, that that, that person is nuts. Um, but uh, the issue is entirely, we're talking about a league that plays through summer, a region in which summer is, is oppressive, um, a league in which, okay, this year he's kind of got a, we're sort of short circuiting the travel issue because he's only got to travel five times. Plus um, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but if they were to possibly make the playoffs, which is a very long shot at this point, um, maybe six or seven times he'd have to travel, um, which is not too bad, but in 2019 he would be facing a normal schedule, which means trips that he has not made very often. He's used to the English where, you know, there's that story every year where the longest road trip in England, the longest trip for away fans. And it's like a four hour bus ride. Right. Um, it's, it's a short for MLS. It's like, Oh, that's easy. 
um, that's an easy road trip for, for an MLS supporters group. So, um, you know, he's not used to that. He's not used to having to fly commercial to play San Jose, which is what's going to happen to DC United this week. Um, and he's not used to playing through it being, you know, 80 degrees and 80% humidity. Um, those are things he's just not used to dealing with. And there are people that know the English league better than I do that have said that he historic historically hasn't done very well in those, the, when the English weather gets hot at the end of the season, which is not even close to our weather when it gets really bad here. Um, so those are, there are red flags. Um, Can I play the, the Rooney advocate? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We shouldn't completely discount him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this team besides the, the possible likely Rooney siding is young. This team has speed uh, with Assad and Areola and uh, even Dirk and Stieber's not slow. Uh, they, they've got some quickness. Uh, De Leon and Mora or Fisher or whomever's on the other fullback position. This this team has some quickness. And so hopefully what might happen is just Rooney gets to stay in zone 14 and forward and just gets to do his, just gets to do quick bursts of speed into the box and uh, holds up play and does those quick runs in and hopefully just bangs a lot of goals and basically does the Robbie Keane uh, playbook, but a couple years younger. Uh, so I think they're going to work to minimize the amount of physical effort he has to do, uh, uh, spread that out over the rest of the team and just let him concentrate on uh, maybe pressing high that, that I could see that happening but not tracking think, deep and running forward and uh, just concentrating on finishing. On the field, um, I think Rooney's success uh, individually will, will come down to a couple things. Number one, where's his head at? What, what's his commitment level? And I, I, I think that's probably the thing I'm less worried about. Um, He's always been a competitor. He's always wanted to win. He's always wanted to score goals. He's always wanted to set up teammates. He's, I mean, he, he's reportedly been very frustrated at Everton with his move deeper into midfield, but he, he went out and did it nonetheless, knowing that it would sacrifice his own goal scoring because it would help the team. And that's what the manager was doing. He's, you know, his off the field issues, which do exist, notwithstanding he's always been a professional when it comes to the soccer side of the game. So I think he will, if he does come here, I I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on uh, the fact that he's coming here to play and to compete and not as, as a retirement. He, the second doing, one, he's not doing the Ashley Cole. Uh, I'm looking for a beach thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And Ashley Cole's actually turned into a yeah, well, relatively committed here, player. Like, I guess I shouldn't be uh, such a, such a jerk about it. Yeah, and Ashley Cole, famously a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> also, that 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 was completely in character for him. Uh, the second issue with with Rooney is whether he's willing to adjust his game at the forward position. When you move him into midfield, he intellectually and emotionally, you know, he's got to play a different game than he does his forward. Um, I wonder whether he can play as a forward and adjust his game. Uh, to fit his current skill set and to hide his current weaknesses, like the fact that 
His legs are not what they were when he was at his peak. And this, this was the one place where Dero basically fell short mm-hmm. is he couldn't adjust his game. Jaime Moreno adjusted his game. And when he no longer had the speed to get by people, he would come up short and be clever and pass the ball uh, in a different way than he did when he was essentially the fastest guy on the field with or without the ball. And Rooney is going to have to adjust the way he plays at the forward position when he gets here. And that's something I'm not sure he he's going to be able to do until he does it. I, I would like him to succeed, obviously. But uh, that that is more my question mark than his mindset coming here. I'm confident in his mindset. It's his ability to adjust to his own limitations as a mortal human being. As Matt Doyle uh, likes to say, father time is undefeated. And and Wayne Rooney can can get a few more years out of those legs if he changes the way he plays the forward position. But until we see it, we don't know if he can. Yeah, uh, I, I think... I think that's a pretty good way of, of looking at what the, how, how it, how this could work. What does it hinge on? It's probably, you know, first of all, let's end any of the, you know, the suspicion of like, well, he's played a bunch of different positions. He played midfield last year. Where is he going to play for DC? He's, he's going to play be forward. forward. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not be, yeah. like, let's not try and overthink this. He, the team is not great at, I mean, they've been better than I think we expected with, with Maddox. Um, but still, obviously, a pretty glaring need um, up front. The midfield is solid enough, give or take. He's not playing midfield. He's playing forward. Um, I think um, we've seen Ben Olsen go back to, to um, Patrick Mullins this season, even with Maddox available. And I think it's because ultimately he wants more of a, uh, a forward who's sort of the attacking fulcrum um, where you're playing defeat. And then he is playing the runners from there. Um, it's sort of a distribution of the playmaking responsibilities. Instead of it being purely on a number 10, it's more the number 10 does some of the playmaking. Some of the, some of the wingers do a little of the playmaking and the forward does some of the playmaking. Um, this season, it hasn't worked because of Mullins's form. It's not that the idea doesn't work. The idea works in a bunch of different leagues and a bunch of different formations all over the world. It, it's viable as an idea. It hasn't been viable here because the player that can pull it off hasn't really done a good job. Um, Maddox can't really play that game. So you don't, you know, wisely, they're not asking him to do that. Um, Rooney, I think between his soccer IQ, his range of passing, his technical ability, he can do that. And this team does, as we've already discussed, have the speed from midfield um, to make it work. Um, It's just a matter of uh, how can he hold up to the mobility demands that are still there. Um, can you be a high pressing team with him in the lineup? Um, because I think he can't be a constantly charging guys down kind of forward in that setup. He's got to be more um, using his brain to sort of shuttle play in the direction DC wants. And then the, the energy comes from the guys behind him. Um, so he has to be really smart. Um, now he's used to playing in the premier league. The players there are by and large, they have better soccer IQ than MLS players. That's, the, the way the state of the things right, right now. Um, so he's, he's going to be thinking the game at a higher level. Um, it's just a matter of, is that higher level enough to mitigate the fact that he's not necessarily going to be able to cover a ton of ground, um, especially, you know, in the, you know, 
next spring, I would expect actually probably his best stretch of play dirt with DC United is probably going to be March and April next year um, because he'll be well-rested. He'll have a full preseason with the group and the weather won't preclude him um, from running things down. But once it gets to, you know, this time of year, next year, uh, or DC is playing a game and it's humid and muggy, um, then I think we might start to see him have to really alter his game. Um, I think it's going to be one of those things where he has to, he and the team really have to plan around his age, his, the, the fact that he's been playing first team starting soccer at a high level since he was 16 years old. Um, you can't just say, well, he's definitely going to start every single game and play 90 minutes because he's, you know, a million, they're paying him millions of dollars. He has to, um, that can't happen or else he's eventually going to break down. Um, but in terms of role, it could work. Um, it could work if he's more of the, the fulcrum of the whole team going forward and they're playing defeat rather than trying to play. If they're playing him into space, then this is a, a big waste of time and money for everybody. Um, but I, I don't expect them to play him into space very much because why would you? He's not that guy. Um, it could work. It really actually could work. It's just my main concern is always only going to be about how much can he actually give over the course of a full season and we're talking about a two and a half year deal. Um, I think is what, what um, Steve Goff has reported. Is that one year too many? Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that too, but um, it could work. I, I'm, I think it's, I, I have my reservations, but I'm not saying it's a completely terrible decision. Yeah. On that last point, I think it probably is one year too many. Um, partly because the schedule next year is actually a little bit, favorable um for for at least by mls standards this year dc united uh faces every west coast team on the west coast except for the timbers and whitecaps so both la teams san jose and seattle are all out west rsl is out west um and and so that means next year presumably they will all be coming here and dc united's trip trips west will be to Colorado, Vancouver, and Portland, and that's it. And, it, you know, those are three really big trips, but out of, what, eight teams, that's that's pretty favorable. Uh, and, and, you know, those will be reshuffled and probably be a little bit more equitable in two years. And Wayne Rooney, in the, the second full year of his contract, will have to deal with that, unless he retires after a year and a half, which is possible not probable but possible um we're getting ahead of ourselves though talking about that um let let let's talk about taylor twelman he went on at halftime no i think we should i think we should because he had some good points and he also had uh some oversimplifications that i think are worth calling out and taylor twelman went on uh at halftime of the Portland Seattle game on Sunday night and, and put DC United on blast a little bit and, and said that if the Wayne Rooney signing is, you know, if there's no infrastructure to essentially build on it, that it's a mistake. It's a problem. And as far as that goes, it's correct. But he went on to say that DC United has spent $0.0 on infrastructure over the years. And, and, that's where I take issue. I think there are some things that are correct and we've talked about it 
on the show the last couple of weeks. I think this makes the third consecutive week that we're mentioning the fact that the front office is spread pretty thin, uh, especially in the marketing side where there there seems to not be enough infrastructure there to push the team into the broader mind share of the DMV. And I don't think that's controversial or unfair in any way. Taylor Twelman talked about the Academy. DC United is still charging for their Academy and that's a problem and that needs to change, but they are spending $250 million on Audi field. They are spending $50 million on a training complex and USL team facility in Loudoun County. That's not $0.0. That's what eight digits more than $0.0. So there are some things that Taylor Twelman, I think nine digits, nine digits more. Thank you. Uh, it, it, if not omitted, then conveniently, uh, no, omitted, omitted. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to not consider that. It's just something you do to, to get, uh, views and clicks. Yeah. I think his hyperbole, his hyperbole was misplaced. However, there were some nuggets of truth in it. And, and I think there is reason to think that if, to the extent that this is a marketing signing and you don't sign Wayne Rooney without considering the marketing side, especially in, in this league, uh, Wayne Rooney will join DC United officially if and when he signs. Uh, he will become an eligible member of the team on July 10th. Four days later, DC United plays their first game on Buzzard Point. And presumably that's where Wayne Rooney will make his debut. I like that they're getting this done early so that he can come over, spend the summer over yeah. here, get to know the team. That's that's perfect. That is a best case scenario for a signing, especially one coming off a long Premier League season. He gets the summer to take a little vacation and then train with the team without having to play come games over and try and get acclimated and get, you know, his house situation sorted out. All that stuff can be settled before he even has to play. Exactly. That's a an absolute best case scenario. And credit to Dave Casper and everyone else in the front office for getting that part done. There is reason to doubt that whether they can build on it on the marketing and mindshare and whatever buzzword side of it. You know they want him so that they can fill buzzard point, so they can get Audi Field uh, packed to the gills. Uh, for this this opening season because it's a lot of games for the second half of the year that are going to be there a lot of midweek games and you you got to put butts in seats that's the whole point of this new building and Wayne Rooney is going to help with that even if Sebi Salazar is right that he doesn't speak to the entirety of DC United's fan base he gets new faces in the door yes they're mostly white faces they're not enough Latino faces is that actually true? It's not like it's not like people uh it's not like those people don't follow the English league. Yeah. Um, I, it's I not agree. like Rooney's not known. Um I think that part of it, I think we have to remember that um you know the the Latino portion of the fan base, they follow every bit of soccer they yeah. can. Um so Rooney's still going to do well with them. It might not be Chicharito. Um, in that department, but he's certainly not, you know, nobody. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely a fair point. And that brings me to kind of to my my overall 
point is if Wayne Rooney is the signing of this summer and that's it, that's a problem. If he's the signing of the next year and that's it, that's a really big problem. If he's the first signing, if he's the guy that DC United signs to get on the board so that they have uh, a little more credibility when they make the next signing because they don't have uh, Tata Martino as their coach who's able to go into any locker room in the world and and have a conversation with a player because he's Tata Martino. He's managed Barcelona. If you're Ben Olsen, you don't have that level of credibility. If you sign Wayne Rooney, that's more credibility. And you can go talk to players. It opens doors, just that signing does, that weren't open before. If DC United uses this both off the field in the marketing sense and off the field in the talking to new players sense, especially young guys from South and Central America, which I think is the Atlanta model that everyone and their mom wants every team in MLS to follow going forward, then this becomes a very big and very good deal for DC United. And it's an unknown at this point. We have to wait to see how that goes. And hopefully Dave Casper and Ben Olsen and Tom Hunt and the rest of DC United are not waiting to see how it works out. They're making it work out. But we won't know as fans and as supporters and as media until it happens. And there are obvious areas that need improvement. Obviously, fullback needs improvement. We could improve the center-back position as well. We could improve uh, even the midfield. You could make a substantial signing in the midfield that would that would make something happen. But especially on the back line, you don't have to wait. You can spend a million dollars, $800,000, and get somebody, especially at fullback, who can make a difference. And just don't wait. It has to happen now. It has to happen before July 10th. It's May 14th. That, as we uh, yes, yes. That, that's what now means. It's, yeah. it's not I just wanted to clarify. Now. It's, it's, it, you, you accused me of being pedantic earlier. I did not. Now who's now who looks, who's being the pedant? No, no, no. I think this is worth clarifying that if DC United doesn't make a second signing before our next episode, that's not a failure. If they even if they don't make a second signing before the window opens on July 10th, that's not necessarily uh, a I failure. Mean, if they make if they fail to make I, I think a it might second be because signing, it's the, this team is getting so far behind in points. If if they if they don't sign somebody until August, they're too far behind and the season's over already. Yeah, that's that's fair. There's only what four weeks, five weeks in that secondary window. So if they don't sign somebody before the end of that, then it becomes a, a bigger failure on a longer term scale than even missing the playoffs this year would be. Obviously, right now we want to see the team be in a spot to make a run for the playoffs once they move in to Buzzard Point. But there are things even beyond that that are at issue here. Um, from from a team credibility standpoint, Rooney gives you a lot of credibility, and it's on the front office, uh, both the technical side and the business side, as well as the on the field, uh, to, to make sure they don't burn that credibility, to make sure they put it to good use going forward. Can I actually say something about the Twelman thing? Absolutely. Okay, we, we've gotten kind of away from it. Um, uh, I, I think what I what I would say is that his tone uh, and attitude were actually pretty much on the mark. I think there's a good reason to be 
rant level upset with the way the organization has run things in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also that most likely the reason that he left out some of that crucial information was unfortunately the way ESPN tends to have people work is you have like a minute to make your point and that's Mm it. Um, Yeah. Or 70 seconds. I think it was this time. Um, Unfortunately, that's the way of the world in our, the way we, we, our networks have us talk about sports is uh, sound bites and yelling. Um, And I think he chose yelling over getting all the information right. And, and that's, you know, I, from a creative perspective, I respect the choice because ultimately this is part of an entertainment product and he's sort of playing, playing his part. Um, I I think that some of the stuff he said is, is dead on. Um, The, the front office needs to be built up. They have been making moves to build it out, but they need many more employees. Um, I don't know how many people work for the team, but I'm guessing it's a lot less than most other teams in the league. Yeah, we don't know because this is a question they declined to answer yes. on Grant Wall's, uh, what is it, ambition ranking yeah. uh, um, questionnaire, which as an exercise is is mostly worthless except for the team answers on the questionnaire. That's the value that that, that exercise right. provides. Um, and, and, you know, the Academy should be, I mean, honestly, that should be already be, they, they should remove the, the payment part of that now. And if not now, then in 10 minutes from now. Um, or soon after that, maybe tomorrow morning, um, that should be done and dusted. There should be no issues with that. And the fact that it's carrying on this long is not a great sign. Um, those things are all important, but it is important. And I, you know, it's almost like DC has been out of circulation for so long that we get a lot of these instances where folks from out of town don't really know anything about this team, um, which we've been saying for a few years now, um, and this is one of those things is that th- there might be a sincere uh, lack of knowledge of the training facility. You might ask MLS fans and observers and they'd be like, oh, they're building a training facility. We didn't even know um, because we get kind of caught up in our little bubble where we know all this stuff and our readers know all this stuff. Um, but outside of the bubble, a lot of people don't know this stuff, even people that are paying good attention. I, I put out a tweet um, after the TMZ thing about how we're going from an issue where very few well-known voices on the league really knew that much about DC United. And now we're in a world where TMZ is dropping in on Ben Olsen at the airport. Um, And Taylor Twelman is dedicating his halftime uh, speech to DC United. These are new, but it also comes with the other side, which is people don't know anything about this team. And, and as much as I hate to say it, there's a good reason people only have so much bandwidth and this club has not given them, a reason to pay attention very much outside of did you build your stadium yet? Yeah, well, yes, it's coming. Okay, good. Well, um, even people in, in DC, I work with a lot of 20 uh, somethings at, at my job and many of them are soccer fans by and large European soccer fans, some even Mexican and Central American soccer fans. And the number of times I've been asked over the last couple of years, uh, it, it isn't DC United still playing at RFK? Aren't they still looking for a new stadium? And I have to say, the stadium's under construction. It opens in July. They have no idea. They live in D.C. They are soccer fans, and they don't know anything right. about D.C. United's stadium, this $400 million building on Buzzard Point. They don't know anything about it. And and that's because D.C. United has no mind share. They, they 
well, they don't exist for a lot of people in this city. And that's, that's a problem that I, I fear Wayne Rooney is not enough to overcome. They have to be, have a plan in place and uh, personnel and an, marketing infrastructure in place we're not seeing bus wraps we're not seeing um newspaper wraps we're not seeing uh major ads, ad campaigns ads games um, yeah we're, right now. we're yeah. seeing ads on dc united games and that's it um and maybe that's the thing they need more than anything is a real financial and time commitment to advertising um because, you know, Adam, you're in the city, you're out there every day, and you're not seeing anything on buses or anywhere else. That's not good. Um, ben and I aren't seeing it in our areas. I don't, I'm speaking for Ben, but I'm guaranteeing that there's no, there's no ads in Richmond only. Um, ben is I see, I, the, yeah, there's no ads down <laughs> here. And I see, yeah. I see way more Caps ads and Nationals ads down here. I've yep. never seen a DC United ad down here, but I, I, see, they, I see Caps and Nationals ads. Yeah, and that's a big problem. If if in we're we're kind of pretty well spread in the three regions that DC United fans come from, and we don't see any ads, that's pretty terrible. Um, that shouldn't be the case. And I think we're getting very close to the opening of the stadium, and we're still not seeing the ads. That's that's a strike against uh, the project working out um, as a whole. Um, if you're talking about reintroducing yourself to the general sporting public with Wayne Rooney in a new stadium. Um, you know, maybe they're, maybe the whole ad blitz hinges on Rooney and, and we're going to see, you know, Wayne Rooney signs. And then three hours later, you're going to see, you know, or hear a radio ad for DC United. And when you go home that night, you'll see TV ads. Maybe it's a planned blitz and that's the idea. But right now it's just like it was in 2014 or 2012. Um, there's no advertising. There's, you know, there's nothing else. If you didn't know the team and go follow it yourself, you wouldn't know it was there. Um, and that can't be the case. Uh, it, the, the thing is it can't be the case from the financial side. If you're going to spend this kind of money on a stadium and Wayne Rooney uh, and then not advertise, you're probably going to find that the thing didn't work on the financial side, much less on, you know, the building a good soccer team side. So um, that's a, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that is why I think Twelman's rant, I think, in terms of attitude and and from an expression perspective, it's sort of like if you watch a movie that maybe has a few plot holes, but it still catches you emotionally. Um, from that angle, it was pretty good. Um, I do wish that he had taken the opportunity to say something a little more accurate because the 0.0, .0 thing is probably going to stick in people's heads more than us writing 100 articles about stadium and training facility and all that stuff. Um but, you know, those are the breaks, and, and that's the kind of pressure the team is under now is they're going to be un, in the public eye, and they're going to have uh, people getting their uh, angry face screen-capped uh, for memes, uh, yelling about the team if the team is bad. Um, that's We're in a brand-new world, and it's, it's, it's not coming down the road. This kind of gets at something you guys said earlier about how it's got to happen now. It's already happening. All of this is happening to us already. We're not, it's not a thing down the road. It's not a future thing. It's now. Um, when TMZ shows up at the airport, if there were any doubts in your head, that was the moment where it's like, okay, we're, we're in the middle of it. It's going on. It's not a thing we can prepare for soon. It's happening. It's already begun. Um, and it does seem like on, on some level, the team is prepared for it. And on some levels, it does not seem like they're prepared for it. And hopefully They've got a plan in place that we're going to see enacted very soon. But otherwise, 
you know, you can't just sign Rooney and point to him and say, is this enough? Because the answer is going to be no. Now I kind of hope that whatever plan they have, like, I really hope now that that Rooney is done, is signed by the end of the week. And before we record next time, DC United launches a marketing campaign centered on Jay-Z's PSA. Just allow me to reintroduce myself. That's all I want now. That's not all I want. But on a joke level, that's all I want. What, what do you actually want, Adam? How about we not joke and talk about what we really want? I want a good team. I want a team okay, that good. plays soccer well. Yeah. <laughs> Not that much. And I want I want an organization that that runs itself like a major league outfit and be fitting that stadium that they're building. Um good. That that's what I want. And I, I think that yes, is, I is pretty obvious. But uh here we are. Anything else you guys need to get off your chest before we check out for the night? We, I, 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 I probably have things, but we have gone on far too long at this point. Taylor Twelman may have 70 seconds. Yeah. But as we, we barrel past the 100-minute mark, it's clear yeah, no, that, that we do not have time limits. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster if you are so inclined. We are on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at Black and Red U for the website, uh, plus all our personal accounts, which are pretty easy to find, I like to think. Uh, find us on iTunes, wherever podcasts are available. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com, particularly if you are a potential sponsor, even if it's just on a personal level and you don't own a business, you just want us to say nice things about you. That's Especially totally if your name cool is uh, W. Mark Rooney. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the, that, that's, other than supporting us financially, that is the best way to help us out. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. And now, Rooney.